open your Bibles uh, with me to John chapter 8. We're going to continue just marching through John's gospel. Last uh, December uh, at the Boise Fairgrounds, there was a a spectacular uh, Christmas uh, light show that was set up uh, for people to be able to to drive through, kind of zigzag back and forth. Uh, And you had to to pay and reserve a time to be able to, to go and drive through the lights. Uh, but uh, when, once you had made that reservation, you'd, you'd show up uh, and uh, show your receipt and your, your vehicle would be allowed to enter. And a little bit later this year, Lord willing, it was canceled last year, but uh, hopefully uh, at those very same fairgrounds, uh, the Western Idaho State Fair uh, will be held. Uh, and it's also just a, a great event to attend uh, but it has a different entrance policy. See, for the, the Christmas light show, uh, the, the entry is per car. Uh, but for the, the state fair, uh, the entry is per person. Uh, and the entrance cost being per car encourages you to do what? Load as many people into that car uh, as you can, right? Uh, and if you're in the car... Uh, and the car is paid for, then you are good to go. Uh, And you don't have to worry about anything else. It doesn't matter how many people are in the car, because if the car is paid for, everyone in the car is good. But the entrance cost per person promotes uh, another way of thinking. It doesn't matter how many cars you arrived in, because each and every person is going to need a ticket to get into that state fair. And seeing and understanding this distinction gives us some insight into a spiritual temptation that we face. There is a a temptation uh, in the church uh, and in other religions uh, to think that heaven uh, has an entrance policy by the carload rather than by person, by individual. There are are some parents who, who think that uh, because the, the kids are uh, in their family, because they, they've grown up in a Christian home, that, that their children w- will be able to, to ride into heaven with them. And there are some children uh, who think kind of along those same lines. Uh, their parents are Christian, uh, and they're in the car with their parents, so they're just going to get in as well. They don't have to worry about anything. Everything's taken care of. But this is a, a significant temptation, and we would love for it to be the case, right? Again, every, it's every parent's uh, wish uh, that they were in charge of their child's salvation, isn't it? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great if you could just pay for the car and bring in as many people as we wanted? But it doesn't work that way. Uh, Entrance into heaven is by individual admission, not group admission. Uh, And uh, this temptation uh, is so common in the church. And I guess just out of out of curiosity, how many of how many of us here grew up as a church kid attending church? I just want to by by show of hands. So you see uh, that there's there's this is a a common experience in the church, Uh, and there eventually has to come a time. Uh, even as we got to celebrate uh, a new member today, has to come a time where every church kid 
realizes that they're, they're not going to get into heaven uh, in, according to that group admission. Uh, and really this principle that we're going to be looking at, that Jesus is going to, to teach today, is that your physical heritage does not guarantee your spiritual heritage. Again, this temptation is nothing new to the modern church. It is an ancient temptation. Uh, the Jews during Jesus' time uh, had also given in to this false idea of uh, group salvation or uh, entrance into heaven by the car load or uh, the caravan load, I guess, back then. Uh, but the, the Jews of Jesus' time uh, believed that their physical heritage in Abraham uh, would secure their entrance into heaven. One, one rabbi put it this way. He says, Abraham himself sits behind the gates of hell and does not permit any wicked Israelite to enter. It was in the rabbinic literature uh, that no matter what uh, a, an Israelite did, Abraham would be there to make sure that they were never going to be judged. Another uh, early church writing uh, a Christian theologian named Justin Martyr was having a debate with a Jewish man named Trifo. And in the, the document of the book called The Dialogue of Trifo, the Jewish man says this, Those, or They who are the seed of Abraham, according to the flesh, shall in any case, even if they be sinners and unbelieving and disobedient toward God, shall share in the eternal kingdom. Now that, that was the, the Jewish mindset uh, of that time. That they were good. Now they were assured of their salvation simply because way, way back they were related to Abraham. But it is this false assurance of salvation that, that Jesus is going to uh, demolish here in John chapter 8 and what we're going to look at uh, this morning. Again, if, if you're there in John 8, uh, we're, we're on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and, and Jesus is teaching in the temple. Uh, and as Jesus has been teaching, uh, chapter 8, verse 30, shows us that there were many people who began to believe in him at that time. And then verse 31, if you look with me, Jesus begins to address those people who were starting to believe in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So Jesus was, was teaching them about what it really means to follow him. And he says, I, I have the power, the ability to set you free. And they say, What? How can you say that we need to be set free? We've never been slaves to anything. And, and here's where Jesus starts to try and change their view of their own identity. They have built their life upon an identity rooted in being a descendant of Abraham. You say, that's the wrong identity. That's not going to get you anywhere. What you need to see, if you're going to have any hope in this life, is first and foremost, we are all slaves to sin. This is what he says in verses 34 to 36, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
he's encouraging them to to change their focus, to to realign their identity and how they are viewing themselves. Hey, your greatest need and your greatest asset uh, is an understanding of your sinfulness before God and your need to be set free from your slavery to sin. And Jesus promised them salvation and freedom. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But now what we're going to see this morning is the response. And what we're going to see is an unwillingness to hear from Jesus, an unwillingness to depart from that false identity and that false assurance of salvation. They're going to cling to that. So we see in verse 37 and following what we're going to look at this morning. They still want to cling to their heritage in Abraham. Verse 37 Jesus says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words or my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So in this passage, Jesus is going to to make a distinction here uh, between those who are the physical descendants of Abraham and those who are his actual spiritual children. There's going to be two words uh, that are going to kind of play off of one another. Uh, And this is seen in the Greek. In verse 37, the ESV translates the word offspring. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. There's a a Greek word, sperma. It just means the the literal physical descendants of someone. But then if you look down at verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, that's that's a different Greek word, word technon. It's the idea here of having the characteristic of some other being. Uh, of someone else or here in the idea of characteristics of uh, Abraham and ultimately of God. Uh, and so the the point that Jesus is going to make is, yeah, you're physically related to Abraham, but you're nothing like him. Uh, and the Apostle Paul is going to make a similar distinction in, in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So the Apostle Paul even points out that, hey, not everybody who was descended from Abraham inherited the promise. Abraham had two sons, right? Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac was chosen and Ishmael was not. So Ishmael was physically descended from Abraham, but he was not considered in the promises given to Abraham. Another passage in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from man, but from God. Uh, And so this is a very important distinction uh, that that we need to, to understand, that we need to clearly make, Uh, As parents, uh, a distinction that we need to understand if you're uh, a church kid, 
Now, if you're, if you're sitting here and growing up in this church, you need to understand that simply being in attendance here, growing up in a Christian home, participating in church activities does not necessarily mean that you will receive the spiritual heritage that your parents have. Again, heaven is not going into by the carload. It's an individual turnstile. Physical heritage does not guarantee spiritual heritage. That's what we have to understand. Now, in this principle beckons us to examine our lives and to consider whether we are mere physical offspring or actual spiritual children. But how do we go about examining our lives to determine this? What should we look for? Well, Jesus is going to to walk us through this examination process. Uh, And he's going to give us uh, three steps, and that's what we're going to to see this morning. But before we we jump in in and look into those steps, I'd like to just pause and, and pray And ask the Lord to bless and guide our study this morning. Heavenly Father, you are the God of all wisdom, knowledge, and truth. And we would implore you now to work in us and through us, to use your spirit, to use your word, to pierce our hearts to expose them to our sight. Help us to see what actually is rather than merely what we want to see. Expose any false ideas of assurance in our hearts and minds and and help us to see ourselves as you see us. And then may you also draw us near to yourself through your Son, Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. But as we look at these, at these three steps uh, of examination, the, the first one is found in verses 37 and also in verse 40. And it could be this, that we are to check for contradiction between your claims and your conduct. Uh, and this is what Jesus is going to be pointing out in verse 37 and in verse 40. Uh, He's going to point out this contradiction between the claim of the Jewish leaders. They have said, well, we are children of Abraham. He said, yes, you're offspring of Abraham, but but there's a contradiction. You're claiming this, but in truth, you're doing this. And and the big contradiction is they claim to be children of Abraham, but at the same exact time, they're seeking to kill Jesus. Like that's a discrepancy. That's a very large discrepancy. Uh, And that's what he is going to be pointing out in verse 37. He says, yet uh, if you were Abraham's children... Now, I know you are offspring of Abraham, yet yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Now, and, and Jesus, in, in highlighting this discrepancy, he, he builds upon it even more in verse 40, where he's going to really say the same thing. He says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. He says, this is not what Abraham did. Uh, and so, again, pointing out this discrepancy, Jesus says, I have been teaching you the truth. I have been proclaiming what God, God the Father sent him to proclaim. Uh, and because of what he has been saying, they are seeking to, to kill him. And then he just says, Abraham didn't do this. Uh, and what is he referring to there? Well, back in, in Genesis 18, if you go back and look at it this week, uh, there were three visitors who came and spoke with Abraham. 
And of those three visitors, two of them were angels, uh, and one was the pre-incarnate Christ. So Jesus came to Abraham. And how did Abraham respond to him? Uh, he, he welcomed him. He received him with joy, with faith, uh, and showed him honor and respect. When Jesus went to Abraham, he was received. But when Jesus came to the Jews of his own day, how did they receive him? They rejected him over and over and over again. Again, what a contradiction to their claim. That they are spiritual and physical descendants of Abraham. And Jesus is saying, this is just not true. It's a major discrepancy here. You say this, and yet you are trying to kill me. And this contradiction between claims and conduct is it, all too common uh, of uh, religion during Jesus' time, but also it's still very prevalent in our own time. And many of you have probably heard the recent news concerning a very famous Christian apologist, Ravi Zacharias. And now he, he died in May of 2020, uh, but even during the, the, the last few years of his life, there was uh, a growing number of accusations against him. Now, the small accusations were that he was exaggerating his academic credentials, claimed to, to teach and be uh, an uh, invited professor at, at Oxford and in Cambridge in England, and they're like, we've never invited him to speak here. Now, but even worse than just exaggerating his academic claims, there were egregious accusations of sexual misconduct. And so shortly after his own death, uh, his ministry, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, uh, investigated. Now they, they hired an a independent law firm and says, can you look into all of these accusations that are coming against uh, Ravi? Uh, and at the end of uh, December last year, uh, RZIM confirmed that the allegations were true. And they released this statement. They said the interim investigation... Uh, indicates this assessment of Ravi's behavior to be true, that he did indeed engage in sexual misconduct, and this misconduct is deeply troubling and wholly inconsistent with the man Ravi Zacharias presented both publicly and privately to so many over more than four decades of public ministry. We are heartbroken at learning this, but feel it is necessary to be transparent and to inform our staff donors and supporters at this time even while the investigation continues they made that statement at the end of december and then in february of this year all of the details of that investigation were made public it was all made known and it was ugly but i i bring this up for two reasons number one is that ravi zacharias is an example of this great contradiction that can take place in the life of an individual Right? There can be a, a tremendous contradiction between what we claim publicly and what we are actually, how we are conducting ourselves privately. And yet, while Ravi himself is, is an example of a contradiction, his ministry is a great example of checking for contradiction. Because they're getting all of these accusations, and what do they do? They don't just say, well, let's just hush this up. Ravi, Ravi has died. Let's just try and uh, safeguard his reputation. They say, no, we need to figure out the truth. 
are these accusations true? And so they hire this impartial law firm to find out the truth. They check. And the truth comes out. And again, with the truth, what do they do with it? They don't hide it and tuck it away. They say, all of this needs to be laid open. This is a tremendous contradiction in this ministry leader, and it needs to be made known. And they have been quick to announce, to confess, to acknowledge, and then seek to to make restitution for what Ravi Zacharias did in his life. And if we check for contradictions in our own life, we don't need to hire a law firm. We just need to do some self-introspection. And again, I'm not a prophet, but we are all bound to find some level of contradictions in our life. We are bound to find that because we are all sinners. And when we see these contradictions, we shouldn't pass over them lightly. We shouldn't ignore them. We shouldn't explain them away, blame them on others. We should ask some additional questions of these contradictions in our lives. Is it one sin? Is it a pattern of sin? Am I willing to confess and and repent? Am I willing to forsake it? Or is the desire to continue to conceal it? It's also mentioned that back in 2017, there was one woman who who came forward and, and made public allegations against Ravi Zacharias. And rather than confessing at that point in time, he accused her of slander. Uh, settled out of court and made her and her husband sign a non-disclosure agreement. Again, he, he, he fought to continue to conceal his sin. But Proverbs 28:13 says this, "Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy." That's what we have to to see and and believe. As we examine our lives for contradictions, we're going to find them. But then the question is, how are we going to respond to those contradictions? Are we going to conceal or are we going to confess? And that's going to tell us a lot about where we are spiritually. Now, Now, there are times when as we see these contradictions in our life, it's going to say, okay, we have a whole lot more spiritual growing up to do. But there are also certain contradictions in our life that might mean that we are not following Jesus at all. And that's what we have to, to come to grips with. Right? And this is exactly what Jesus is, is saying here. Jesus is, is saying this isn't a minor contradiction in the life of these Jewish leaders. He's saying this is a major contradiction. This is a contradiction that means you're not believing in him. You're not trusting in him. And he explains it in verse 37 at the, at the end. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because, very important word, why are they seeking to kill Jesus? Because my word finds no place in you. Very interesting Greek word there. The idea that it, that it has no room uh, or that the, the word makes no progress. And so the word of God, the word of Christ comes to them and it's like it hits a brick wall goes no further. That's what Jesus is, is saying. And part of making progress in the Christian life is going to be checking for contradictions between our claim and our conduct. But 
And when we see any and every contradiction, we have to confess it and forsake it. We have to bring it to the Lord and lay it down and say, Lord, I need help with this. Well, we need to be willing to go and confess anyone uh, to anyone that we have sinned against. And then to do the deeds appropriate to repentance in faith, trusting that the Lord will restore. And we have to be quick to do this because these types of contradictions, uh, they will ruin our witness both in the world and in our homes. Right? If you speak with uh, unbelievers, if, if you've ever invited someone to church, What's the, the typical uh, refusal? Why would I go to church? It's full of hypocrites, right? Well, guess what the number one stumbling block in Christians' homes is? Hypocrisy in mom and or dad. That, that, that makes a tremendous impact upon the faith of children, teens, hypocrisy in the parents and and that's where when we see these contradictions we have to identify them we can't conceal them right those uh you you think it i'll just sweep this under the rug well again what's that saying about the elephant uh elephants don't fit well under the rug uh in the living room uh, where all of your neighbors see it or all of your kids see it uh and you have to see the contradiction confess it and forsake it. Jesus is, is pointing this out to the religious leaders. Hey, there's this major contradiction in your life. You're saying uh, that you're children of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me. So something, one of these things is not like the other. One of these just doesn't belong, right? Uh, and so he's confronting them and saying this is serious. Contradictions are a big deal and we can't explain them away. And that's that's what Jesus lays out in the, the second step of the examination, in verse 38. The second step would be this, to comprehend the connection between your conduct and your parentage. Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And this is Jesus explaining why there's this contradiction uh, in their claim and in their conduct. And, and ultimately, Jesus is going to say, there's a contradiction because you have a different father than Jesus. That's what he's going to be saying. And Jesus can contrasts fatherly relationships. And this is where verbs are uh, important here. Make note of what Jesus uh, says about his relationship with his father uh, and their relationship with their father. He says, uh, concerning himself, Jesus emphasizes speaking and seeing. Okay? Jesus is emphasizing that he himself has seen God the Father, has a relationship with him, and now Jesus is going to be proclaiming what he has seen from his own eyewitness testimony. But, but the emphasis with the, these Jewish leaders, or these who have claimed to to follow Jesus, but are also seeking to kill him. Concerning them, he emphasizes hearing and doing. And again, there's a contrast here. Jesus has seen the Father, but these whom he's speaking to, they have only heard their Father. What's the implication? If you've only heard, you haven't seen. Their Father hasn't revealed himself to them in the same way that God the Father has revealed himself to Jesus. So think of it this way. 
Jesus is, is interacting with his father, seeing him and now speaking about what he's seen. But Jesus says, no, with, with their father, this other father hasn't been identified yet. You haven't seen him. You're only hearing him like he's w- there whispering in your ear. And then you're going and acting upon what you've heard, even though you really haven't seen who your father is. And again, he has not clearly stated the identity of their father. But he mentions him here in verse 38. He says, your father. He mentions again in verse 41, which we'll look at next week. He says, you are doing the works your father did. And then in verse 44, he's, he's going to to really bring down the hammer. Again, Jesus is trying to demolish their false assurance of salvation. They think they're children of Abraham, and he's going to say, really, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. He's going to lay that out to them. If they have a complete misunderstanding of their uh, relationship with God, they think they're in one family, but they're really not. We'll look at that more next week there's there's so much there i was planning on doing 37 to 47 this week but it just didn't happen uh but ultimately uh in this verse verse 38 jesus is is making a point that that we draw our activity children draw their activity from our parents hey we see what our parents are doing what they're like and we act like them and not only do children inherit the, the physical and genetic characteristics of parents, but we also begin to act like them for better or for worse. Right Now, years ago when I, when I first started working uh, as the, the children's ministry pastor at our sending church, I had a whole bunch of names and faces to learn uh, and to connect which kid goes with which parent. That way when this kid acted out, I knew who I needed to go talk to. Uh, but all of those things. So what I would do, and Mike and Emily uh, Crace were at uh, our uh, church at that point in time, and I said, okay, let me try and get a mental snapshot of uh, husband, wife, all of the kids together. And as I would do that, I would start to see family resemblances. Uh, and uh, as you get to know parents and kids, you're starting to like, that kid is, looks exactly like their mom, or that son looks exactly like his dad. The family resemblance becomes oh so clear, Right. Uh, when uh, my oldest son, Lincoln, uh, w- was younger, he was very slow to get his hair. And when he was bald, everyone said, oh, he looks just like you, Thomas. But then it was really when, when he grew hair, suddenly everyone said, oh, he looks like Libby. I'm like, well, wait a second. You, which one is it? And family resemblances are easy to see. But, but as Jesus is speaking here, he's not just speaking about physical resemblance he's speaking about spiritual resemblance not not physical heritage but a spiritual parentage and our spiritual parentage is not so much revealed in our appearance as it is made known by our conduct there is a connection between our conduct and our parentage Uh, and the way that we conduct ourselves is going to reveal which family that we are in. And Jesus is going to say there's really only two families, two possible families that we are going to, to be in. One is children of God, and what we're going to see next week, the other family is the children of the devil. So those are the only two families that, that ultimately matter. And again, I know, I know that might sound harsh, right? Like, man, Jesus called... People, the children of the devil. 
I would just point back to how, how is the, the word child being used here? It's the idea of having similar characteristics uh, as someone else. They are acting like the devil. They are, having, they are characterized more like him than they are of God. And elsewhere in Scripture, we see the same language used. When Matthew 13, 38, when Jesus is speaking of the, the parables of the kingdom and he's uh, laying out the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, uh, the tares who are even in and among the church, Jesus calls them the sons of the evil one. Something to, something to think about. But he lays out these, these two families. There's no neutral third option. And ultimately, we have to see that we all draw our conduct from our spiritual parentage. We will resemble uh, the character of our father, whichever family we are in. And understand, our conduct doesn't change our parentage. It only reveals it, right? Kids, by the way that you act, can you change who your parents are? No. I know, I've got some like, oh, well, that would be kind of cool if I could do that. It doesn't work that way, right? Your conduct only reveals uh, parentage. It doesn't change it. So there are, there are some who have uh, made a decision to, to pray the sinner's prayer uh, or the decision to, to be baptized, and then they, they live a life uh, that is characterized more by sin and deception and idolatry than by following Christ. Uh, and their conduct, again, doesn't change their parentage, but it, it does reveal that they are probably not children of God. Still others who have years of uh, faithfulness to Christ uh, will make occasional sinful decisions. Again, their uh, actions don't change their, their parentage, but when, when they do sin, they confess and forsake and they repent. And, and that confession and forsaking reveals that they are children of God. Uh, and w- when we speak of conduct here, this is more the, the focus of ongoing continual habits, not one or two events. Uh, it, it's what's your overall lifestyle. Uh, are you uh, living in rebellion against God or living in submission to God, albeit imperfectly? And 1 John chapter 3, verses 4-8 through 8 says this, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so ultimately this question is raised, right? What is, what does the overall life conduct reveal about you and your parentage? What does it say? Whatever contradictions you see, no matter how big or how small, what are we called to do? Confess and forsake. If you've been following Jesus for years and years and you start to see contradictions in your life, what should you do? Confess, repent, and turn to Jesus in faith. If you've never trusted in Jesus before, this is all new to you, but you're starting to see your sin, what should you do? The exact same thing. Confess your sin, turn from it, and look to Jesus in faith. Uh, That is what he is always calling us to do when we see sin 
in our lives. That is always the solution. Uh, And as Jesus is bringing that to the forefront here, as he is laying bare the the hearts of uh, these people who have said that they're following him, but they are not really following him, their identity is still rooted in being a descendant of Abraham. Jesus points out the contradiction in their claims, and he urges them to comprehend the connection between their conduct and their parentage. And then he gives this third and final exhortation, this third and final step in examining our hearts. And it's found in verse 39, but I would state it this way, compare your faith and works with believers in Scripture. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. That's that's the emphasis there. They're still trying to claim their heritage. And Jesus says, well, if that were true, if that was the case, then this would be true. Uh, And uh, the NASB translates Jesus' words as a command. Uh, If you are children of Abraham, it says, do what Abraham did. And the ESV translates it more as a conditional statement of, if this is the case, then you will be doing the works of Abraham. And I kind of land more along the lines of the ESV there, uh, that this is a a conditional statement uh, that Jesus is making. Uh, But either way, Jesus is urging them to compare themselves with Abraham. Okay, look at what Abraham was like. Look at what he did and go and do likewise. Uh, And this is what should be the case. And and by comparing them to Abraham, Jesus is not holding up Abraham as uh, a perfect man, but he is an example of a life of faith and obedience to God. And we are to uh, do something similar. Now, now usually we love to compare ourselves with others. But we, we tend to be selective in who we compare ourselves with, right? Uh, who's everyone's favorite uh, 20th century villain to compare ourselves with? Hitler. I'm better than Hitler. Uh, 21st century, it may be, I'm better than Trump, uh, or whatever it may be. That seems to be some of the, uh, the, the modern commentary. But uh, ultimately, this is the same attitude uh, that the religious leaders had back in Jesus' time. When Jesus was telling the the parable of uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, he he captured the attitude of the Pharisees. Luke 18, 11 says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. We we always choose to compare according to things that are going to make us uh, come out smelling and looking better than we actually are. But Jesus says, look to Abraham. And if you look to Abraham, you're going to see you're really not like Abraham. And if you're not even like that sinner who was a faithful man, how, how are you saying that you're righteous? And it doesn't mean that Abraham is perfect. But we have to make note because we have divine evaluations of Abraham. And this is extremely helpful to us. When we have divine evaluations of someone's character in Scripture. Genesis 26.5 gives this evaluation of Abraham. That Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. God says, Abraham was a man of faith and obedience. Additionally, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, you see the hall of faith. You see Abraham there along with many others. And these types of divine evaluations are priceless to us. 
because they help us to see what God thinks of certain actions, certain attitudes, heart motives, right? Gives us tremendous amount of insight concerning what God is calling us to be and do. And Abraham was a man who struggled with fear and impatience with God. But God still says he was obedient and a man of faith. Now that's encouraging because do we fail? Absolutely. Are we going to see contradictions? Absolutely. What about King David? A murderer and an adulterer, yet he's said to be a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he confessed and repented. Uh, He showed his true parentage. And we have numerous divine evaluations in Scripture, and each of them gives insight to us. Uh, And we should make note as we read the Bible uh, of what God condemns and what he commends. Now, what is he encouraging and what is he discouraging? And if God condemns someone in Scripture for doing the very thing that you are doing, that means something. That gives us insight concerning how is God looking and viewing me right here and right now. And so there's so much to learn by comparing our faith and works with believers in the Bible. But the ultimate example that we are to follow and the ultimate measuring stick that we are to measure ourselves by is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Right? Everyone loves to examine themselves according to Hitler because how do we all look? Fantastic. But when we measure ourselves against Christ, how do we all look? Like rebellious sinners who follow after our own heart rather than honoring and glorifying God who's given us life and breath and everything. The life of Christ, He Himself is the one who shows us perfection, who shows us our own sinfulness. He reveals God to us and He exposes our own hearts. And that's exactly what He's doing here. Even as He is teaching and confronting these Jews who have said that they're following Him, but they're really still hostile to Him, still finding their identity in someone and something else. And this passage urges us to examine our hearts and to examine our lives, right? In these three steps, check for any contradictions between our claims and our conduct. We have to comprehend the connection between our conduct and our parentage. And we have to compare our faith and works with believers in Scripture. Do as they did. I would close with this. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 to 29. The Apostle Paul says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. If we have placed our faith and our trust in Christ, then we are all children of Abraham. And if we are children of Abraham, what should we do? We should live and walk as Abraham did. Man of faith, imperfect, but still growing, confessing, forsaking, and walking towards God. Amen? Let's pray.